Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Dravet syndrome is a type of seizure that usually begins in the first year of life, with seizures often triggered by hot temperatures or fever. Children with Dravet syndrome typically experience a lagged development of language and motor skills, hyperactivity and sleep difficulties, chronic infection, growth and balance issues, as well as difficulty relating to others. The effects of this disorder do not diminish over time. Joining us from Colorado is Jenny Storms. She is a nurse whose son Jackson has Dravet syndrome. She's also the author of a course which helps other nurses. It's called Cannabis Education for Nurses. Jenny, thanks very much for doing this. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. Now, in reading about Dravet syndrome, it said, Children diagnosed with Dravet syndrome require fully committed caretakers with tremendous patience and the ability to closely monitor them. How has your caring for Jackson affected you? Um, it's had a huge impact. Um, I went from a naive, young, know-it-all parent who worried about what kind of clothes and shoes I was going to give my children to um, developing into a mom that had to watch for seizures since my son was four months old, um, watching him develop developmental delays, um, learning issues, learning how to navigate special education, not just the medical world, seeing seizures change, um, making medical decisions that no parent should have to make. And... Um, in 2008, my son actually had brain surgery to address the ongoing seizures that were non-responsive to any kind of treatment, any drug, and only to find out later on when I went to nursing school because he had the brain surgery that my son had Dravet syndrome. It was a homework assignment. And so I've, I've come full circle to the, the point where I'm the one who diagnosed him with Dravet through a blood test that I learned about from a homework assignment in becoming a registered nurse back in 2009. What were they telling you was uh, going on with him then? Uh, they told me he had idiopathic medically refractory cryptogenic epilepsy, which that was a really long sentence. And it was three different ways of saying, we don't know, here's more drugs. We don't know how to help you, he'll die. How many different pharmaceutical medications has Jackson been on over the course of his life? At this point, we're well over 70. Um, I've documented them since we started. And what was interesting, and we didn't know until 2009 when we had the Dravet diagnosis, was that his seizures were pleomorphic. And that means many different types and changing all the time. It was also refractory to the different types of drugs. It, the drugs are known not to work. Treatments are known not to work. But because we didn't have a diagnosis, nobody could figure it out. But that's why he failed drugs so fast, or he would outgrow it, and we have a short honeymoon period, 
And all of a sudden, the drugs would just stop working and the seizures would come back full force or they would change. And to this day, we still see that with Dravet um, and my son. When you say the seizures change, what do you mean? Um, so they may be tonic or tonic-clonic, or they may be a myoclonic, which is a simple muscle jerk. Um, it could be an eye flutter. It could be left side, right side. They change. They change their presentation. They don't always just, here's a tonic-clonic, and this is what you get. Um, if you give a med, it may change the way it presents. You take away a med, it'll change the way it presents. If you're on a med for too long, it's almost like the disease or this genetic disorder can figure out how the drug works and it changes and it presents with a new seizure type. So it looks like you're seeing a new seizure type where it's all Dravé and it's just, it's common to have different seizure types and different presentations. Jenny, when did you first notice that something was amiss with Jackson? Oh gosh, it was very apparent. He had a huge grand mal seizure at four months of age and stopped breathing and turned blue. Oh, that must have scared the heck out of you. It, it did. I was an accountant at the time. Um, you know, I, I do numbers. I don't do medical. I don't do oxygen and seizures. <laughs> so um, I was working in a MRI office, but I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It scared the heck out of me. I, di- I didn't know what to do. Neither did my husband at the time. And we ended up calling 911, took him to the hospital, and they said he'd never have one again. And two weeks later, we were in the same exact situation, and he had had a seizure. And it was um, just 10 days after his immunizations, and he had been having seizures af- or fevers after the immunizations. And the theory is, is that fever, which is a side effect of the immunization, triggered the genetic mutation to present itself. Has he had any further immunizations since that time? No, nothing since. So heat and uh, fever can trigger a seizure. Do I have that correct? Um, that's common, yes, especially in, as an early onset, that is usually the trigger that causes it. For him, it was a fever. It could be heat. It could be absolutely nothing at all. It could be sunlight. Um, my son has since developed other seizure triggers based on foods. For example, soy. Soy is an excitotoxin, and that is enough to trigger off his seizures as well. So I think that might be the case for some of the younger children also. Um, getting formula and these other synthetic foods that we don't know about. Yeah, soy is also uh, a GMO product as well. Yes, it is. Yes. So we avoid soy, um, and that can control his seizures as well. It's just it's very complex, very complicated. I mean, things have changed from the early years of being a parent to the hypervigilant advocate nurse parent that I am today. How often does Jackson experience seizures today? Um, It just depends. Right now we're on a really good streak, and he's having them about once every week to two weeks. A couple of weeks ago, he was having them about two every week, and and I expect it to go back to that. It could, some months, um, he could have, you know, two to four in a week. It varies. It depends on the temperature. It depends on so many different things. Does it worry you when summer approaches and the temperature starts to increase? Um, if we were outside or he wasn't homebound with school, it probably would. 
but I control so much of his day. I have an air-conditioned house. I'm very fortunate in that I can be his nurse. I work with him 16 hours a day, seven days a work at, week as his nurse. Um, so not anymore. But there was a time where putting him on a school bus and sending him to school was very anxiety-ridden, for sure. Now, you spent years dealing with conventional medication to try and help your son. What made yes. you decide to try CBD? Um, I actually tried cannabis. It wasn't. This was before CBD was a big thing and everybody was CBD only. Um, back in 2012, we're given the choice after multiple months of him being med-flighted from either home or school to the hospital on the New York border of New Jersey to uh, Hackensack University. We basically were given choices of three different drugs. One had a side effect of the entire body and the skin turning blue. The other one caused permanent blindness. It was irreversible with no known reason. And um, what was the other one? Oh, the other drug was suicide. Um, High risk of suicide. And he was already on quite a few drugs. Two of them were benzos. He was on um, phenobarbital, which is a, was a barbiturate, clonopin, onfi, both are benzos, steropental, experimental drug from France, Depakote, and there was another drug. I want to say um, he was also on the ketogenic diet. I'm forgetting that last drug. He was on all of those. He was being med flighted with 20-minute seizures two to six times on average per month. And they just told me, look, these are the options. And I said, these options really suck. I mean, I'm, I'm having to literally choose between crappy crappier and crappiest. And none of them really sounded attractive or doable. And then I got the, well, you know, you could try, you know, that marijuana. And I, I believed in Nancy Reagan. I believed in all the hype I'd heard for years. And I just said, well, what are the side effects? And um, I love our neurologist, epileptologist. He said, well, the side effects are um, he'll probably giggle and he'll be happy. <laughs> Can't have that. <laughs> and I said, well, let's see, turning blue, committing suicide and going blind and being happy. I hmm. choose that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a no-brainer. You know, I reached out to other parents. Everybody's heard of Jason David, and he is also a Gervais parent. And I reached out to him and started asking questions, and I was scared. I had no clue. I was naive. I had, at that point, just become a registered nurse, um, passed my test, and gotten my license, and was starting to practice as a nurse, and, you know, very diligently trying to do my research. And it just was odd. I wasn't finding any of the harms. I wasn't finding any things that I had been told and believed on their surface as a as a teen and, and a young adult. And I just started asking more questions. And ironically, it was during Hurricane Sandy that I had procured and secured cannabis. Well, we lost power, and there were some issues with that because we literally had no power. So I, I remember vividly starting cannabis. Um, it was right after Hurricane Sandy. We still had no power, no electricity for heat or anything. And that's when we started cannabis. And I didn't tell anybody because in New Jersey at that point, yes, cannabis had been legal since 2010. I was starting to connect with some of the advocates in that state. But we had no open dispensaries. We had no legal way to access, no registration, no way to get into the program. 
it just became really interesting. And it's, it's like, we need to fix this program. We need to make it work. Cause it wasn't working for the kids. And I just slowly started it again, not telling anybody having plans to fix this program because it was showing great promise. Literally we went a month with no med flights. He's still on all those drugs, but no med flights. At school, he went from circuiting and having a five-second attention span to watching an entire hour-long movie. At the school, they were not having to redirect him. They didn't have to chase him down the hall because he was so hyperactive and impulsive. And the school nurse kept saying, what meds did you change? Because that's a common theme with Dravet and a common theme that we had been going through with all those med flights. Okay, so what's new? What's changed so they can keep track? And I'm like, nothing. Because I couldn't tell them I added Mm -hmm. cannabis. And uh, finally, one day, the school nurse cornered me in the the vocational room, and she's like, okay, you need to tell me what's changed, because obviously something has changed, and I need to know. And I'm like, I can't tell you. I'd have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) She basically said, I'll take the risk. Tell me. And I finally told her, and she goes, oh, my God, that's amazing, because he's so different. And she, everybody noticed, but I couldn't tell anybody. And so we started working with the epileptologist out in Jersey. He didn't help or control the cannabis. I did all of that through my research and my networking. But he helped me wean him off of phenobarb, clonopin, amphi, steropentol, Depakote, and the ketogenic diet. That was all done under medical supervision. Knowing that I had the cannabis on board, he controlled nothing on the cannabis. He had no input on the cannabis. But he helped me with the others, and he saw the benefit. He saw how it was helping tremendously. And he was on CBD and THC, and I was just controlling the ratios with what I could get at that point in time. And again, this is before you know CBD was a big craze. Um, in the beginning, he was on Charlotte's Web before it became a CBD-only product, only available through dispensaries and all that stuff. That's one of the ones that he was on. But it wasn't the ratios it is now. It was This is when it was... Uh, definitely a different ratio than what everybody is currently getting now and currently being sold across the United States. Jenny, I'm wondering why the doctor took Jackson off the ketogenic diet. What was behind that? It wasn't working, and we knew it. We knew it wasn't working. We could tell from the monitoring of the ketosis and the blood glucose that it wasn't working, but he was doing fabulously with the um, seizure control being on the cannabis, that was actually the last thing we weaned was the ketogenic diet. He had been on it for four years at that point. And in a hospital setting, just cold turkey stopped it, changed the ratios, and there was no increase in seizures. He didn't need it anymore. Now, of all the medications Jackson's been on, you said approximately 70. How many medications is he on today? Well, at this point, he's not on cannabis. Cannabis was amazing in helping him heal from the damage of the benzos and the barbiturates. It helped him get out of that pharmaceutical addiction. It helped him with his seizures. But we reached a point where he started to decline, even on cannabis. And I moved to Colorado. I no longer have that help or support from that amazing neurologist in New Jersey. I have... Denver doctors who very much play the I like cannabis, let's research it, it's a joke. Um, And then they publish papers that are anti-cannabis and they don't support parents who are struggling or need to live in both cannabis and pharmaceutical world with a child who's been on drugs his whole entire life to control his seizures. 
so we got to a point where my son was doing really, really bad, even on cannabis. He was only on Depakote and Banzel, and it, it wasn't working. And what's typical with Dravet is drugs work for three to six months, and then they just stop. And that's very common. But I didn't have that with cannabis. But I did reach a point where it wasn't working, but I can't explore it further because they're not helping. But there's a new promising drug that's on the market through trials right now. And that's what we're going to try, that he has to be off cannabis. So for those two reasons, Jack is no longer on cannabis. I'm not saying cannabis isn't going to be in our future again. I think that we need to cycle through things when it comes to to Dervais, at least for Jackson. Um, So I see it coming back, but with a, a prohibition on any cannabis for this trial, I had to make a decision. And I think he needed a break. Jack's receptors jack just needed a break from cannabis so he's in a really good spot right now um he's still on low pharmaceuticals nothing addictive like he was prior to cannabis and i thank cannabis for that i mean it's been huge currently he's on a low dose of depakote a low dose of banzel and he's on a new medication called rivaracetam it's a second generation keppra and it doesn't come with the rages the new drug we're going to try and that we're in the process of experimenting with we're waiting to get into the trial is called finfluramine which you'll probably remember back from the 80s and 90s as a diet drug but it actually is showing in some kids that uh, an 80 percent seizure efficacy without that honeymoon period like all the other seizure drugs on the current market right now and it's showing a great promise and that's what we're going to try you're really in new territory, aren't you? you I mean, this is, a, yes. this is an experiment which nobody has an answer to. And you, you just have to find out what works for your son. Right. And I do anticipate someday being able to use this new med, finfluramine, with cannabis. But we're not there yet. And I, like I said, I see cannabis in the future. If my son were to have a bad seizure, I can't tell you how tempted I am right now to run to the cannabis. I've had to hide the THC for myself so that I don't just out of the habit of the last four years because I know it'll stop the seizure, but I need him to be clean for this trial. But yes, we are in absolutely new territory on many fronts, whether it be cannabis or um, anything else. And Jack has really grown my, my nursing practice as a nurse into the world of cannabis and understanding and helping other families and children with cannabis for that reason, because cannabis is amazing, but there are some new discoveries in the pharmaceutical world. And I think it's important for some, not all to have to explore and understand and live in both worlds. And that's where we're at. Earlier, you mentioned uh, his rages. Can you give us a description what that was like? Oh, Oh gosh, it was horrible. Um, he was a behavior kid. He um, would throw his head through a window. And he's very smart but nonverbal. So he would literally throw his head through a window and someone would catch him, whether it be me or the nurse. We'd catch him doing it. And it was the long-term side effects of the benzos. You could just see that he was crawling in his own skin. He was angry. He would beat up someone in his presence. Like his nurse would be there and if he wanted to do something, the nurse said no or He just couldn't physically do it because of his own limitations, physical and mental. You could see him just look for something to throw his head through. And he would aim for my windows. And I had a house that was built in 1959. So they were old windows, not safety glass. 
and he would aim for the window and just literally throw his head through. And luckily he missed or we'd catch him or the TV. He would aim for the TV and it was very intentional. And if you would redirect him, he would watch, he would comply. And as soon as your attention was off him for two seconds, you could see him go right back to that same exact object again. Um, if you remove the object, he would then look for something else to hurt himself with. And it was always self-abuse. But like if he tries to hurt himself and you're stopping him, he would hurt someone else in doing that. But that's how miserable he was. And, and the one remarkable thing, if you meet Jackson today, it's not there anymore. It's totally gone. And I still remember this was back when we were deciding which drugs to wean off. Um, I got to this amazing epileptologist and he says, well, I just think, you know, He's, he's kind of, you know, he needs the spare at all. He's kind of a jerk. And I says, well, I beg to differ. I know he can be, but I don't think that's his true core of who he is. We need to get him off these benzos. And he had been on it for 13 straight years. And the doctor agreed. But if it didn't work and he was still a jerk afterwards, after we took him off, I agree that we would put him on the spare at all. And so we went through this whole thing. We got him off and he was calm. He was sweet. And to this day, he is still the sweetest kid. He doesn't hurt himself. He doesn't hurt other people anymore. He still can stomp his foot and huff and puff. And, but it's so different from, you know, four years ago before cannabis when he was on the benzos. And that's a long-term side effect. The truth is, and this is admitted by the doctor, they are kids on these drugs thinking they're not going to live. So what does it matter what the long-term side effects are? And, and that's the truth. Our kids suffer because they do survive and they do live, but they miss, they're miserable. They're crawling out of their own skin, and they're they're just uh, so uncomfortable. So Jenny, it's crazy. It is crazy. What is the long term prognosis for Jackson? Um, it's not positive. He has developmental delays. He will always be my dependent. He just turned eighteen. He is nonverbal. He's probably a, a two to five year old depending on what area you're classifying him on um he will continue to have seizures until he dies he's probably not going to live very long if he lives to be between 40 and 60 he'll be one of the lucky ones um, many of our children with Dravet die very early i have so many friends that have lost their children whether they're toddlers or children or teens it just it's devastating and it's my biggest fear Jenny, what's been the lowest point for you in all of this? Um, the loss of friends and family, the people who can't handle it and can't can't understand that I can't fix it, but I can live with it and deal with it. They can't. And so, you know, my ex-husband would be one of them. You know, my children have lost their father because of this. He couldn't tolerate it. He couldn't handle it. And he sadly has succumbed to alcoholism. And it's been very devastating, and it's ruined his relationship with so many, including his own children. Now, Jackson has an older sister, does he not? Yes, she's 21. Um, she's his CNA, and she's she's amazing. She's gone into the medical field and is still in school, working towards that. What's a CNA? A certified nursing assistant. Good for her. Yes. So, And she's in school. She wants to be an occupational therapist. So that's what she's going to school for. And it's going to take her a few more years to get to that point. But, you know, she's learned from helping her brother and seeing all this, what she wants to do for the rest of her life. How does she deal with Jackson? What's her relationship with him like? 
we all live together, believe it or not. The three of us, we live in the same house, and she cares for him every day. They have a typical relationship where they fight, and it drives me nuts. And sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, you guys need to just stop. He is stomping his foot and huffing at her, and she's yelling back at him. It's just very typical and very in so many ways. <laughs> it's nice that they have a relationship, though. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there's days where she wishes that he was better and it was different, but it's this is the way it is. I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. I can only make the best out of what it is and give him the best life possible. Does he require 24-hour care? Oh, absolutely. In the state of Colorado, we are very fortunate. We have a parent caregiver program. I get paid to be his nurse. As a nurse, I could be his nurse. Most parents aren't already a registered nurse or an LPN, so they um, go into the parent CNA program and they work for their child as a CNA. And it's prevented me from having to go on welfare, to be honest with you, because when there's a nursing shortage or a short staffing or staffing issues, how am I supposed to hold down a job if there's nobody there to take care of Jack or these children? And so it's a way to allow the parent to be gainfully employed and have dignity and respect, take care of their own children and keep their children safe and provide them the care they deserve. Are you able to take a break? I go to sleep sometimes, once in a while. Do you think, Jenny, that you suffer a bit from PTSD? Oh, heck yes, absolutely. And one of my coping mechanisms for that and recognizing it, because this has been 18 years of constant seizures, I I went to nursing school just to give myself stability with an occupation, but it's given me a diversion as well. And I just was got an email um, on 9-11, to be honest, and it said that my degree has been conferred for my master's of science in nursing education. So that's what I've been doing. And, and it takes strategies to deal with it, to help and to figure out and to not become depressed or succumb to depression or any of that other stuff and so that's that's what i've done and it doesn't work for everybody but i've been able to through education and keeping myself busy with him i've been able to um avoid some of that but i still have i still have trigger points i still have ptsd if another child dies it's very difficult um if things happen with my son you know or we start getting back into a bad seizure cycle it triggers it again and I just find ways of coping. It's really tough on relationships, though, isn't it? Oh, it's complicated. I haven't had a date since 2004 when my divorce was final. I, how, do you, how do you date when you've got a child who seizes every night, who seizes so you sleep with him to make sure that if he does seize, he doesn't die in his sleep because someone didn't see it? I mean, how do you explain to someone who wants to date you, I sleep with my son, yeah, and therefore your husband left, and uh, men don't cope with this very well at all. They don't. There are a few gyms out there, so I wouldn't say all, and because and, I think that is an overgeneralization, but I can count on my hand of maybe five that I think are amazing fathers, but most do not make it. Most cannot handle it, mm-hmm. um, and they have some ineffective coping where, in my case, my ex suffers from alcoholism it ruined his his life his career his family it sucks jenny tell us about the course that you put together cannabis education for nurses what's that all about it's quite interesting going through all of my 
nursing since I joined nursing school in 2009. There's nothing about endocannabinoid systems. So when I started learning about it in 2012, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't learn anything about that. Um, so it's been a desire of mine to teach other nurses about the endocannabinoid system and the fellows at the hospital, the different doctors I come encounter with for my care or my son's care. You know, I always tell everybody about the endocannabinoid system. I tell them about cannabis. I tell them about how cannabis has saved my son's life. And most know right now that, you know, we are not on, on cannabis for him. Um, but we, I tell them all the time, it's going to come back around. And they want to know more about it. They want education. And I've run into so many nurses that are like, where can I get education? Where can I learn about it? So in my master's course, as I'm going through, I'm writing papers. I'm talking about cannabis. Ironically, since nobody knows anything about it, they can't fact check me. They can't tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> I've run against other students in some of the discussions that we've had to have online you know, some are cannabis is evil, cannabis is illegal. And, you know, I always come back with, yes, cannabis itself may be illegal in, and I name their state. Um, and a lot's changed over the last two to three years. But when I started this, it, most of the states, it was still illegal. And I would tell them about my son's story. I would share his website. I would share our story. And they would be, oh, I want to know more. So it became clear to my professors as well as myself early on in this master's program, I needed to pick a project. What's my project? Most people choose what they're practicing. Well, I'm in home health. I'm in pediatrics. Well, that's quite boring and everything, and that's been studied to the billionth degree. Cannabis hasn't, especially in peds, and that's my specialty. My specialty is pediatrics. I mean, you should see the face of a doctor when you say pediatrics, child, or some form of juvenile, and the word cannabis or marijuana. I mean, everybody freaks out and everybody stops breathing for like 30 seconds. And you're like, it's okay. It's safe. And you explain. So it became very evident and identified as this would be my project. And so that's what it turned into. And so for my master's, which I presented and completed this summer, it was a cannabis education for nurses. And it's very long. Um, it has approval through the Ohio Nurses Association for 5.33 units. So for the states that have a lot of units that are needed for, for renewal, this is a perfect course. But it's also a good starter. We start with history. I'm going to first dispel that thought you have that cannabis is illegal, that cannabis is bad, because I'm going to show you through history cannabis is not illegal, is not bad. It is only illegal in the United States by man's law, not by medicine. And then I build on that, and then I just start teaching it. And the cool thing about my course and what I wanted to do was – I identified the need for the advanced practice nurses as well as physicians to understand this. So I go into the pharmacokinetics and through the Ohio Nurses Association, I've been able to get this course approved for pharmacokinetic hours on cannabis. So that's really unique and really helpful for those advanced practice nurses needing hours for to, you know to renew their license. And this is very intriguing and very interesting in states where we need to learn and we need to push this information and the knowledge out there. And so although it's a very surface, this cannabis is medicine course, it also is going to get the ball rolling, getting people thinking and, and understanding that there's a lot more to this and hopefully promote, promote more education within the specialties or within certain areas to understand it. Because 
we need to start somewhere. And the doctors don't know. And I'm leading the charge for nurses to be able to start educating these doctors and sharing this knowledge. You're right. The doctors do not know. I don't know how many times I've talked to doctors who say, well, it's interesting, but we need more studies. And uh, I, have- I always say, Jesus, you know, there are 25,000 studies on PubMed yes. about cannabis. How many more yep. do you need? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and I remember the first conversation I had in the hospital back in Jersey with one of the fellows or the residents. And he says, well, I don't understand cannabis. And I said, well, it's really easy. It works on the endocannabinoid system. And he just looked at me and goes, um, you mean the endocrine system? <laughs> We've heard this said, one before. Yeah, I know. Okay. And I'm just like, uh, no, you mean that endocannabinoid system (laughs) and he came back the next day and apologized to me he says i i have a lot more research to do but yeah a very common comeback of yeah i'm the stupid patient's mother i don't know i want to start having that conversation i actually last friday went to my doctor and i told him yeah i graduated it's been a busy week and i i happen to have my handbook that accompanies the course in my bag and I showed it to him and he just sat there. I'm, I think for like 10 minutes and he just looks through it and he goes, can I come? And I'm like, yes, you can come. And so now my challenge is, and I want to get it CME certified. So when I offer it here in Colorado, he and his whole practice actually want to come to the course now. Um, and so that's what we're working on. I have the course coming up. We did offer it in Florida, but hurricane Irma didn't like that whole idea and kind of had to cancel it. But we do um, have a course offering in October with the Cannabis Nurse Magazine, Cannabis Nurse Network. Um, we're going to be offering it October 5th in Las Vegas. And that'll be the first time actually presenting it live. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, and I'm excited. The handbook is the PowerPoint so people can follow along. It's not like you have a whole bunch of slides in front of you and you're trying to write in the margins. You literally are going to have an entire perfect bound handbook to be able to take notes document and use as a reference in learning about cannabis to build on and and that was the whole purpose of of creating the course and i can tell you that in my university they were so excited to learn about cannabis and to follow my project and my different papers and the things i wrote when i included cannabis you know because when you're talking about the cardiovascular system i would throw cannabis into that conversation and again no one could fact check me because i just didn't know so I was teaching the professors as much as they were learning from, you know, and I was learning from them. That's wonderful to hear. You're blazing new territory, and that's uh, that's excellent. Jenny, is there anything you'd like to tell listeners in conclusion? Um, cannabis is medicine. Don't underestimate it. Um, one thing I've learned in my journey with Jackson is that when things aren't going right, you need to change things up, and you have to have an open mind. But sometimes taking a cannabis break is actually really good, too. And I've learned a lot from, you know, this cannabis break. And I see so many families, so many parents, especially the scared ones, that are like, oh, cannabis didn't work and they're never going to go back to it or they're not going to try or experiment with it. It's hard. But there is an answer there with cannabis. We just don't necessarily know what it is. And we are so far behind in the science. Um, The day will be there where cannabis will make more sense and be easier to use and apply, but cannabis is not bad. And just because it didn't work for your child or this situation doesn't mean it isn't going to work or doesn't have medical benefits. Jenny, it was wonderful to talk to you. Fantastic story, and uh, I wish you all the best (laughs) in the future. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much. Jenny, this has been great. We very, very much appreciate you sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I love sharing it. And there's more to come. I'll be around for a while, I promise. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Just before we close this out, don't forget you can write a review of Cannabis Health Radio on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Apparently, they need five reviews before they post the review. So give us a review and uh, tell us what you think of Cannabis Health Radio. And also, if you'd like to donate to Cannabis Health Radio so we can continue doing this, go to our webpage, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make a donation. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.